Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at colleenpilar.com slash community. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. I am here today with Laura Dorfman, the owner of Kona's Touch Dog Training, and Leslie McDevitt, the author of Control Unleashed. And I invited them to talk to us today about spirituality, which is a topic I have long wanted to cover. Um, but it is a little bit a little bit fraught. There's a lot of baggage around the word spirituality. So why don't we just sort of start with what does spirituality mean to you? And we're here on Zoom where we can see one another and hopefully we will not all talk all over each other all the time, but this is going to be whatever it is. So throwing that out there just generally, what does spirituality mean to you? The main thing that comes to mind is is um, letting stuff go. It's not about accumulating more anything more knowledge more whatever it's not something out there it's more about figuring out what are your um what are your personal impediments what are your your personal narratives your perspectives that might not be uh what's true but might be um, a consequence of the various conditions that you've grown up in or find yourself in that are shaping what your perspectives are and shaping your behavior. If you take that all of away, what's left? So to me, uh, a spiritual practice is, is a practice that um, supports you in, in not seeing yourself quite as solid, okay? And having more of a sense of humor about reality and not everything is like, ego based and things have to be this. And I think that, and everything's about you. Um, it's more about letting that stuff go. Um, and then finding out what's there. And I think, uh, the spiritual practice that, that I have, um, a, a very much, I feel, um, that there's just a certain sort of like flow and connection you know, if you go beneath everybody's narratives about I'm right and you're wrong and I'm different from you and we should this and that, um, that there's just a, a life force that sort of everybody is part of. Um, so, you know, any, anyway, whatever, at the end of the day, whatever practices help you find, help you find peace. And I think that, for me, like I said, it's not about going out and um, getting more stuff. It's about leaving stuff behind. So, you know, there's a lot of talk, like in a Zen tradition, which I'm not 
a Zen practitioner per se, but um, about like, you know, what are you? Who, who are you? Are you this finger? Are you, no, I won't show the other finger. Um, <laughs> you know, um, where can you find yourself? What is this thing that's talking to you guys right now? I mean, what's my personality? It's just, um, you know, and as, as an animal trainer, when I look at like our antecedent arrangements, how they drive behavior, right? How conditions arise constantly in our environment. There's a constant flow and then our behavior adjusts to um, react to that flow. Um, like all of it makes sense to me in terms of what my Buddhist meditation practice um, practices. So anyway, that's enough, Laura. Okay, Laura, what does spirituality mean to you? Um, it's, it's to me, so I grew up, I learned everything in school. I learned all the appropriateness of the world and how I'm supposed to be out there. And, and then I kind of want to take that and then go over here and find out what it is that's my heart, what it is that uh, feeds me, not emotionally, but in a way where I can get peace, not grab a hold of all of everything we're all grabbing a hold of and, and that makes us crazy and work with both sides, work with what I know is reality, if there is, but we won't go there. Um, and uh, what I know, what I've learned and what I feel in a non clingy, non graspy kind of way, just, like an openness and, and mm -hmm. a um, ability to let in what I think animals around me may need or people around me, any living being that's in my presence uh, as a professional or as just a person or a friend or a partner. Um, just to open up, look and see what that is, what the situation is at the very moment and how to react to that with my most open heart. That's yeah. all I can, spirituality-wise, in terms of dog training, I have a million things that I can, uh, that I work with, but just in terms of life, that's, I think that's about what I think. Okay. <laughs> and both of you included a concept that I think is really important to spirituality, which is sort of a curiosity and openness to, to explore, to learn more about yourself and what works for you and not uh, dogma. And so... One of the things I said to you when I first invited you to come on was that I really wanted to explore spirituality from a more broad perspective and not so much religion. I think a lot of the baggage around spirituality is attached often to religion, and I have I have nothing against religion. I'm just saying that I think that that spirituality can can be inside or outside of religion, however however that means to you. What are your thoughts about why there's some baggage around the word and the concept of spirituality? It scares people. It scares people really intensely. Um, it, it has, as far as I can remember, it always has. If you say something that's a little out of the ordinary, out of the usual, people can't, some people, have a hard time grasping it. They have a hard time wrapping their brains around it. And so it's scary and it's hard. And I understand that completely. I, I've been getting in trouble for 20 years being the woo-woo dog trainer, as you said. And uh, 
I saw in the uh, uh, paperwork that went out, and, and it's true. It's it's. I I have to be careful with my woo friends because you know you have to just not scare people, and it's totally understandable. I, I get it, and and I have no problem with it. Um, and you just learn to work with it. That's awesome. Thank you, Leslie. What are your thoughts? I think my thoughts are always pretty similar to my friend Laura's thoughts. Um, I think what I was saying earlier about there's certain narratives that drive your behavior, your perspective. I think a lot of people grew up with certain narratives that had, uh, that were called religion, but also had um, very restrictive social and political and cultural attachments to that. And if you don't do this, you are bad or, you know, guilt type stuff. Um, and I'm, you know, mostly speaking for like our Western world stuff, but I think that, um, you know, for some people, um, they, they needed to leave that kind of space and they labeled that whole thing spirituality. So it, they have, you know, an aversion, but it's, it's not, it's not that. Um, so but I think that that's the issue that people have their own, you know, baggage associated with how they grew up and what they were taught. And um, it's not a certain religion, this or that you could have grown up in one religion and that's like your cornerstone for life. And the same person grew up in the same, I mean, a different person grew up in the same religion and, you know, had to flee. So I'm not saying it's one thing or another thing, but um, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the conditions that, um, were in your life when you learned these certain things that were labeled religion or spirituality, or this is what you believe now. Like my, I make my kids go to Hebrew school <laughs> and they're like, why? And I'm like, I did it. So all that stuff that you shouldn't do. Um, and I think that that, you know, that's part of the, uh, why some people might shy away from that word or something like that. Okay. So, how do you think having a personal sense of spirituality could help pet professionals for those who choose it? Not that we're prescribing it, but just if someone wanted to lean in, how could that help them? So what Laura said in her original answer about what it means to her spirituality had a lot to do with compassion and loving kindness, which is again, a big part of our meditation practice. Laura and I have similar backgrounds with practice. Um, and I mean, I, that's really, that's the key. I think like, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you let all these preconceived notions go, when you're looking at an, an animal, human or otherwise, oh, it's a, it's a border collie. So it does this. It's from the South. So it does that or whatever. Um, you are, you are, you are projecting something onto another being based on your your previous conditions and what they've taught you rather than seeing that person. So to me, uh, you know, a spiritual practice is about feeling connected rather than projecting just um, being present for the other person or animal uh, listening to them. I feel like with my clients that have, you know, aggressive dogs, reactive dogs, this label, that label, everyone's anxious Um I have a lot to tell them to do, but I also like to just sit back and have a, a safe space for them to listen in. And I think that that's a spiritual practice. 
Um, I also think, again, coming back to compassion that, you know, there's no, there's no um, restriction on compassion, compassion, there's no rationing to it. And I might not agree with something, but I can still feel a compassionate, ah, cats, a compassionate connection um, anyway. And I feel like there was a third thing and I've been derailed by a cat. <laughs> oh, I know. But I know what it was and I'll say it real quick. Um, once I gave a, a talk on my meditation group and it was about, um, I was talking about this, this person that was a, a chaplain. He was a, a Buddhist chaplain and he was talking about uh, sort of spiritual practices to be present for uh, people that are nearing death. And, you know, he talked so much about, about bearing witness, you know, and I really think that, you know, that's what people need from other people. And I think animals need it too. Like, um, yes, you know, just being present, bearing witness for the, whatever the other person's stuff is. And you don't have to take it in. You don't have, you just, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, this is my stuff. I have to fix the stuff. Like, you know, when I first started dog training, I would get these calls. You're our last resort or we're going to euthanize our dog, you know, and I'd be like, oh my God. Um, I don't take those calls anymore, but, um, you know, that's not my story, but, but I can have a safe space to listen, bear witness, make the best suggestions, best practices that I can and be as supportive as I can without at the end of the day, making myself crazy nuts because someone else is crazy nuts. What thoughts did that spark for you, Laura? You know, I think what really sparked was when I first started doing dog training, um, I was in the arts before that, very woo-woo. Um, and when I first started doing dog training, I got totally into the science. And I was not a science geek when I was a kid, and but I picked it up really big time when I first started doing all this. And what I think was good about me having a spiritual world in my uh, world was that I was able to take the science and then do the same thing that I talked about before and go over here. And it helped me in terms of working with people and working with the animals. It was just invaluable to say, here's the science. So what's supposed to happen? This is what often happens with this breed or the border collie or the beagle. And then totally erase it all. I would walk into appointments and totally just kind of almost physically go, and wait and see what I see, mm-hmm. what the person tells me, what the animal tells me, and then work it out together between the spirituality and the science. And for me, in terms of my own dogs, my own pets, uh, it's been it's been really, really good. It helps me a lot um, just to be able to do both sides because science is not uh, – I might get in trouble for this, but there's no compassion in science. It's it's and there's no open mindedness and there's no room for let's see what we can kind of meld in there and work in there. It's pretty science and it's pretty uh, solid. So I like to go over to the unsolid parts and together and and that works really well for me. It works well for Kona's touch. It works great for my clients. Um, and it leaves me, as Leslie said, a more open, uh, 
reciprocal almost to uh, see what they're going to offer me and then what I can then offer them for help. Yeah, and I think that's such a such an important piece for for all of us is to sort of show up and see what's actually here and not all of the preconceived notions of, oh, I, I know what I'm going to see because I heard it on the phone and I've seen it a thousand times before. And there, And I almost always would see something totally different. So in the beginning, when I first started working, I would do those phone consults, get everything down on my piece of paper, write down exactly what the problem is and go in with that preconceived. And it would totally, so I just, I stopped and I would say, okay, tell me this, what you think is going on? And then I'd say, okay, it's, it's her, 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 his name is, and that's how I would go. This is the, this is the dog I have at hand. Let's see what's going on. And almost always, and I realized, and there's nothing wrong or bad about this, but I realized I was taking information from a non-dog professional who's totally emotionally involved who's totally not going to give me that scientific information. And so I stopped going into the house with these notions. And it's, it it's makes, I think, me a way better trainer and uh, able to help my clients who don't really know what's going on, but they just love their dog. So what helps you personally feel centered and grounded? Oh, pizza. Me too. You- Pizza? I <laughs> yeah. love one. pizza. A cup of tea. I have a cup of tea with me. Hey, yes. No caffeine in it. Um, I, I'm a pretty kind of mellow, patient kind of person. Um, I meditate daily. I have basically pretty much since I was a teenager. Wow. Um, I am very um, solid in a Buddhist. Uh, not solid. That's a terrible word. <laughs> Flexible in a uh, Buddhist practice. Um, I um, Leslie, what do you do? You you what do you do that? I sit, which by sitting that means meditating. I have a sitting practice. It's been maybe eleven or twelve years, um, mostly daily. And I walk and hike. I'm, I need to be around animals for my mental health. I need to be outside. So those are like personal uh things that help kind of keep me going and um it's it's been quite hard to keep my practice up during this time I've got two kids now I'm homeschooling them and it's just like constant noise and action and things that I usually get like a few hours respite from every day that I don't plus I'm trying to work um so it's it's been uh, it's been pretty challenging but anyway, that that doesn't. But the question, the answer to the actual question was: I like to walk and be outside, <laughs> um, be with animals, and and sit and sit by myself, but also in a group. Those are two totally different experiences, and there's a lot of value in both. Mm-hmm. And for the closest friends that I have at this point have been the ones that um, are in my meditation group with me. They're family. Since I've since I've actually can remember, I, I've been the breathe girl. Whenever my friends and and are in trouble or they're upset, even Facebook, uh, all I'll write is breathe. <laughs> I'm in trouble for that because people don't understand the value of it, and and it really, really, really is incredibly valuable. When I when I talk to my 
friends, teenage kids, and, and they're freaking out about something. And, and, and I say, okay, okay, just stop, just breathe. And, oh, and, they, and, and I go, no, no, really stop and breathe. And they go, and then I go, okay, do it three times. And so it's really, it's one of those things where I've been saying it for many years. It absolutely is the only and best thing when you are kind of freaking out to actually do. It's mm -hmm. with you all the time. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it, you're in really big trouble. And it's, it's to really, I've been really trying to show the value of it. I also drink a ton of water. When people say, I don't know what to do, I'm freaking out. I say, drink a cold glass of water or a room temperature glass of water. It, I, I came here, there's mountains. I've been mountains my whole life. I don't know how, I mean, I do know how I got to mountains from Chicago, but uh, it was through a book and, and they make me breathe. They help me breathe. They remind me to breathe. Same with the ocean. It's hard. We don't know how to self-care, how to do self-care mm -hmm. for ourselves. We're really, really, I don't know if it's because we're Westerners here in America. I'm not, I don't, I know some places around the world, they do know how to take care of themselves uh, in a, in a different way. So yeah, it's really, uh, it's really, it's really valuable and it's really not used very often at all. And I would love to see spiritually wise uh, people just learning how to use their breath and learning how to fill out whatever's going on. This is a really, really scary time. And, and I've been pretty okay through it. I've had my moments. We all have our moments and we just have to kind of realize to not grab a hold of them, to not make them really, really solid because they're going to go away and they're going to evaporate the feelings. Mm -hmm. and so just breathe. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in breathing too. And I think it's so funny because it just can enrage me if someone tells me to breathe, you know, <laughs> like if I'm at all upset or anything, if someone's like, take a breath. <laughs> and yet if I do, it helps. So frustrating. That's what I always find. The three after the first one where you're still mad at the person for telling you. Then you go for the three. The teenagers love that extra three if you can actually get them to stand still and do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. Well, actually, my favorite uh, short meditation is a Thich Nhat Hanh one, which is um, five breaths. And I always call it tag teach for breathing because it's in, out, deep, slow, calm, ease, smile, release present moment, wonderful moment. And so like, that's my go-to anytime I'm even just a little frizzle frazzled because in two minutes, cause I'll try to do it very slowly. Um, I can do this five cycles of breath and I'm in a different spot, but I, I always just like the little statement of like, what am I supposed to think about? Oh, deep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Slow. Oh, okay. I could do that too. We're so, we're so, uh, we, we grab a hold of what it is that we get that's making us crazy, and then we hold on to it like it's yeah. our best friend. And, and, and we all do it. I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying things, but we all do it, and it's not great for us. And, um, and there are ways around it. And, and as we get, like, more and more interested in going, okay, what do I need to do to feel better right now? It, you get more used to breathing drinking that glass of water, going looking at the mountains if you have to. Uh, it's, it's, 
it's important to get self-care into our own heads so we can help each other, so we can help our animals. Yeah. And to really be able to name it, because so many of us know that we feel better, you know, all of us have that animal connection. You know, we've all from very young age been like, oh, I feel better around animals. But to to recognize, oh, like actually articulate that. I feel better around animals. I feel better outside. I feel better when I can see big distances or mountains or oceans, or I feel better when I walk. I feel better. Oh, if we can articulate, name the pieces, that's the real value because so often when we're stressed, we're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, think. Okay. <laughs> so if someone told you they were eager to just sort of get started, what would your suggestion be? Operationalize, get started. <laughs> I was trying to do this nice and broad. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about connecting with myself in a deeper way. What should I do? Is that enough? Because I think most people wouldn't be able to really say it at the beginning. If someone asks me about an issue with their dog, like I, I always say, like the best thing I can tell you is if that were my dog, what I would do for my dog, you know? Um, so, and I like to think of my brain as a reactive dog that I am always training. Um, cause I have a highly reactive brain and I've spent many, many years training it. So I could tell you what works for me, like the stuff that we've been talking about. And if you were interested and learning more about meditation, then I would probably um, give you resources for that. I know that's not everybody's first like go to. I want to learn how to, um, you know, be still and quiet. And there, but the, but what I am going to say about that is that meditation doesn't have to be being still and quiet. Um, you can take a sort of mindfulness um, and and put it into a- anything. So. I have a horse. If I was, if I was riding it right now, that could be meditation. Training a dog could be meditation, making dinner. Um, what if you're doing something and rather than getting stuck in thoughts and feelings, you're noticing that they come and go um, and pointing that out and then going back to what's actually happening in the moment, you're meditating. So, you know, if you like to go hiking and you don't like the idea of just focusing on your breathing or some basic meditating, the like, what comes to mind when you think of meditating, then go for the hike and know that you're there. Just be aware that you're hiking. And if, you know, a thought comes up, someone said something to you yesterday and just notice what happens in your body when you remember it. What does anger feel like in your body? So rather than identifying I'm angry go oh anger's arising anger happens in everybody you don't own it this is not personal anger is happening breathe like Laura says you know watch what happens how it changes um and it goes away and then the next thought and the next feeling comes up and you can be like oh and just keep walking and that's a meditation practice so um I guess I would you know encourage you to find what's going to work for you to work with your own mind because I don't think um I don't think that like the huge umbrella term of spirituality is going to help you much if you are not learning how to work with your mind I think that that's what we're all 
mm-hmm. in need of learn to work with your minds. And there's so many ways to go about that and figure out what that, how that's going to look for you. Terrific. Um, what are your thoughts, Laura, for how to get started? We grow up, we're taught to feel our feelings and we're not taught to feel them and then let them go. We're taught to feel them, marry them, have children with them. <laughs> it's, it, they're supposed to be with us the rest of our lives because we're supposed to honor our emotions and our feelings. And yes, honor them and then see ya. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's it's a matter. It's it's it, it was it was a really hard day in my life when I realized that I was in control over everything that went on. Because I'm in control of this, and this is all about everything that goes on, and I and it's all my reaction to everything that goes on, and and people don't like that either. Because <laughs> you know, if that, something's going to happen, it's going to make someone really, really crazy and angry, and and then I'm going to go, yeah, I, I, it's not going to make me crazy and angry. Then they can have me, um, but you really don't have to grab a hold of it and marry it and keep it forever. And uh, I have a a teacher who's basically says, if you have a thought, that's great. Let it go in and let it go out and don't invite it to tea. And we, we hold onto our thoughts as if they are these huge solid pieces of something we love. uh, And, and they're just thoughts. And so I get it's really scary out there. It's really scary out there. I have autoimmune illnesses and I can't go out or it's really likely I'll be in trouble. Um, and I'm and I'm okay financially right now. And so I don't have that worry. I don't have two kids, twins at home who are- So loud. <laughs> so I do have a, a little bit of leeway, uh, but it also makes it, uh, uh, it makes me be able to kind of watch things and see what's going on and hopefully be helpful to my close people who are, who are really struggling. Um, that's how I don't get into trouble, but, um, it, it's, it's in terms of, of, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm really getting good at not grabbing a hold of stuff and letting it torture me. And I used to be really, really, really good at that. Um, I could say something last week and be worried about it still today. And, and that was really, really hard. And that's where most of us are is I made a mistake last week. I'm not going to let it go. It was horrible. And, and it's not there anymore. And, you know, and so it impedes us for moving on. It impedes us for being in the present. And the most important thing I think about that is being in the present. If you're in the present and you can actually see right now what's going on. Yes, there's all kinds of horrible things going out there, but we're sitting here. We're okay. We're safe right this minute. And it's important to be here in the present right now so we can all talk and and not be uh, somewhere else or not be, you know, worried about something that happened this morning. Uh, it's gone. Um, yeah. Yeah. All of our power really is in the present. All the time we spend looking back or projecting forward doesn't have an effect. It's what, what we choose to do in this moment. So Laura, you said you started your, um, you started meditating when you were a teenager. Is that what you said? Yes. Not daily, Leslie, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I have pretty much regularly meditated. I, I read a book about the Himalayas when I was 16 in, in high school and I fell in love with uh, Tibet and the mountains, Mount Everest. Uh, Mount Everest spiritually has saved my life twice. 
um, just from having these horrible things that went on in my life. And then I started reading about the mountains. It really pulled, I read 33 books in like, I don't know, a half a year or something. And it pulled me right out of it. And so people, it's important to find what gives you joy, what will pull you out of a crisis or a bad moment in your life. It's really, uh, I know by things, you know, they're my, my dogs and, and my mountains and not my mountains, but the mountains in the ocean. And uh, it's, I, I, I'm pretty solid with, I'm pretty okay with that stuff. And um, it helps me. And I'm mm-hmm. very, I've always been very, very, when I was a little kid, I knew there was a problem here and I can fix it. And, and I've always been like that. And I always think there's some other way to get to some, to, to feeling better about something. And, and we just have to find it. Yeah. Whatever it is for us, we just have to find it. That's awesome. So Leslie, what drew you to meditation? Uh, years of severe anxiety between neurochemistry and dysfunctional childhood stuff. Um, (laughs) That's what, you know? So if you could each come up with a wish that you would wish for the pet professionals who are listening, um, what would that be? The words that I have right now are just for may everybody be content. I wish a feeling of contentment in this time, whatever that looks for you. Okay. What, what I mean by it is just like a feeling of having a foundation, a feeling of not, um, a feeling of being, of being like steady within yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Thank you. Laura, what's your wish? It's, it's, it's always been my wish that in terms of the animals that we work with the animal that's in front of us that we make it 161 things to do with a box instead of 101 because the, uh, that particular animal we're working with may have 60 other things after 101 things to do with the box and we have to find it. Um, it's about relationship. My, my biggest thing about being a dog trainer uh, and going into people's homes is how can we make this relationship what you want it to be and what your dog needs it to be. And not just what you want it to be, but what your dog needs it to be, what you need in your home. I'm big on family. Uh, so uh, family in terms of animals. Uh, and so that would be my wish that it, it's, I find a lot of times I have a dog, I'm getting another dog. It's not doing the same as this dog. And so just to work with the sentient being that's in front of you uh, and it will, and, and that, being will change every day just like we do and and just to be able to work with it and understand it that would be my wish thank you okay so if people wanted to learn more about you and your work how could they do that we'll start with you leslie if people wanted to learn about my dog training and behavior work um, <laughs> they could Google me. They could, I have three books. I have three DVDs, um, lots of different videos and stuff you can look up online. You can go to my publisher, which is clean run, um, or dog wise, or I don't want to say Amazon, but you know, 
if you want to find my books or learn more about my um, training system, you can do any of those things. I'm also on Facebook. I have a couple groups on Facebook uh, to talk about different issues. One is for instructors that I certify to teach my system of behavior mod. And the other is just for anyone interested in that wants to talk. So you can always find me on social media. Unfortunately, I'm on social media more than I think is good for me right now. Um, but very easily found. So I guess I would start with one of those things. Okay. I'm speaking in a lot of online conferences. One is coming up this weekend's the lemonade conference. Um, but there's a bunch since we can't go do our usual thing. And, uh, cause I speak at a lot of conferences and stuff like that. Um, you know, we can't, all that's kind of changed. So we're, uh, you know, going to interact online and I'm going to be doing a lot of that. So I would say I'm a very accessible person right now. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Laura, if people wanted to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? Probably uh, Um I'm on Facebook. I have a personal page, which actually Captain Jack pretty much owns. Um, I have Captain Jack Cricket, who is uh, pretty well known around the uh, dog world. Um, so either Laura Dorfman or Kona's Touch on Facebook and Kona's Touch at Instagram. We also uh, have a nice page. So no books yet, but that's a big yet. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me today to talk with me. I was really looking forward to this conversation and I'm so glad that we had a little chance to dive in and, and play with it a little bit and see, uh, hopefully there will be a few, a few key insights for people and ideas that they might want to try or think about new ways of exploring their own lives. So I'm very grateful that you were able to come on today. Thanks so much, Colleen. I really appreciate it. I feel a lot calmer just talking about it. <laughs> so thank you. Well, that's good. I'm so glad. Really wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. So thank you both very, very much. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com slash community, where you can be steady, be strong, and be long. Thank you.